changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Well, good evening once again. Welcome to What's the Word? This being the very first broadcast of the year 2021. I don't write a lot of checks, but I wrote a check the other day and it took me just a second to transition in my brain from writing the, the number 20 at the very end for the year, and I had to write 21. Well, I know a lot of people are very thankful for a brand new year. Whether it is just the change on the calendar, whether it is the period of time where we do New Year's resolutions, whether it's just getting through the holidays, you know, because sometimes that is a big enough challenge to go from really it kind of starts a lot of people are geared up for Halloween but you know it really starts around that time of the year people kind of start thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas and buying gifts and of course in January you have to you know pay off anything that you might have put on a credit card or whatever and so it's time to start paying that stuff down so whatever reason you enjoy a new year, here we are in 2021. So hopefully you've gotten through some of the challenges that you have faced, uh, like I said, with the holidays and just different things. But in the election, you know, that's a whole other thing. But you will be thankful tonight. I don't have any content that has anything related to politics. You know, there for a while, for about, I don't know, two months, it seemed like every Wednesday night I had a show that had a lot to do with politics and giving my opinion on things and reflecting on different stories and happenings. And, you know, and here we are, January the 6th, and really honestly, the political scene, and I promised, I, this, I'm not going to talk about this, but. You know, the political scene, I, I made a statement last year. I don't remember what show it was, but it was after the election, of course, because it, it showed itself to the, this comment, the statement I'm about to make after the election showed itself to be true. But sometime after the election, you know, they after the media had kind of called the election for Joe Biden, you know, they were basically saying, listen, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him to unite our country. Well, I don't know if people actually looked at the election results, but we had the one of the most divided elections that we've ever had. I mean, the the one four years ago between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, very divided. Uh, we've had a, a succession, I would say, over the last... 20 years of very close elections, definitely nowhere near landslide or anything like that in terms of popular vote. You've got to go back many, many years to see a landslide popular vote and a landslide electoral college. But that being said, you know, we still have a very divided nation, regardless of what the political scene is. We have a divided nation in terms of, of issues and morality and political parties and allegiances and social movements. So whether 2021 is going to be a year where some of that seems resolved, some of the stance that people, you know, the the whether it's a political stance, a social stance, whatever, whether some of that kind of subsides remains to be seen, I suppose. But hopefully this coming year, or this this year, will be a year of peace and, 
you know, hopefully some kind of unity. You know, you can tell the hesitancy in my voice because as much as I want to believe that this calendar year is going to be better than last calendar year, the truth of the matter is, you know, the, the, every year bad things happen, challenges happen. Uh, no, not every year we don't have a, 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 a pandemic where people are panicked about a virus and act and react in ways that we have seen in the last 10 months. Uh, that's unusual. But at the same time, you know, you look back through human history and just look back through the history of your own life. There have been plenty of years, plenty of years, where you could name quite a few tragedies and think of, and maybe they didn't affect your family the way that some of the, the more recent issues have. But in all honesty, if, if, we're, if we're being really truthful with history, every year has its good and every year has its bad. And the year 2020 was certainly no different. There were some good things that happened in the year 2020, and there were some very challenging things that happened in the year 2020. And so whether, you know, whether we flip the date on the calendar and expect all kinds of good things to happen in 2021 just because it's not the year 2020, uh, I think we're being a little dishonest with ourselves because there's probably going to be some challenges. Again, they may not affect your family the way that some others have, but perhaps, you know, your family would, I was telling, our, I'll give you an example. I was telling our, uh, our men's prayer group yesterday morning, just talking about perspective and talking about the year. I said, you know, the year 2020 is whatever it is that you made it to be. Because if you saw nothing but bad and you call 2020 bad, uh, because there were some challenging things that happened, then yeah, 2020 was a bad year. But if you look at certain things for the better, uh, then perhaps 2020 could be a, a decent year. And I gave them this example. I said, my brother-in-law works uh, in the, uh, in, well, he works for Sara Lee, the, uh, the bread company. And, you know, he manages people that, uh, uh, you know, puts the product on the grocery shelves and, you know, he's a manager of, of, of quite a few of with that work in Sara Lee. And, you know, I asked him over the holidays, you know, what kind of year did they have? He said, man, the grocery industry had a fantastic year. Sara Lee made lots of money, um, because people sat at home and they ate. You know, they went to the grocery store and they bought everything that they could and then they sat at home and they ate. And so the year 2020 was great for the grocery industry. You know, I, I, and he doesn't work for this uh, particular industry, but the toilet paper industry did phenomenally well in the year 2020. So it's really just a matter of perspective. It's all in how you look at it. And, and there are certain blessings that come from some real challenges, and sometimes there are some real challenges that, uh, you know, come in spite of some of the blessings that we have. So many of you are glad that the year 2020 is over. Uh, in, in all seriousness, I, I look at the year 2021 as just simply a flip of the calendar. Um, because like I said, I, I don't, my personal perspective is I don't necessarily see 2020 as a bad year. I could, I could tell you all kinds of personal stories and, and just kind of the perspective of my own life of the year 2020 and some things that were a definite blessing. But then at the same time, I could stop and reflect on some things that were challenging in the year 2020 that I had never expected and had never faced before. But that being said, you know, that is honestly no different than any other calendar year of my life. There have been ups, there have been downs, but I'm thankful that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he does not change, that his comfort, his grace, his strength, his mercies are new every morning. You know, God just never runs out of his character. He never empties out his love and his grace to where he has no more. Uh, God's love and his grace and his mercy is infinite. And I'm so thankful for that because even if 2021 is a worse year for you personally than the year 2020 was, 
God is still on the throne. God is still able to forgive, to heal, to comfort, to draw people to himself, to give us perspective that we need. So I'm just curious. I don't know how some of you have started the year. I don't know if you have some kind of uh, routine. You know, here we are six days into the year 2021. Uh, I kind of like January and February. I, I know that it's in Kentucky, it's, um, you know, mostly cold. I mean, it's not necessarily frigid. I've lived in Illinois, uh, lived there for three and a half years uh, before coming here to, uh, to Kentucky, to Columbia in the year 2018. But, that you know, they had some really cold weather. Uh, and as cold as I have, have felt it to be, I really like January and February. Uh, I think because it helps me to appreciate March, April, and May in those spring months when you do get a little extra sunshine and you get a little extra green grass and, uh, you know, you begin to see flowers bloom. I, I think the, the, the frigid temperatures many times in the snow and the, the deadness of trees really helps us to appreciate the life and the vitality that comes after it. And so I would just encourage you to look at 2021 in much the same way, that there are some good things that God is going to do this year if we will allow him to, and especially coming out of pain and coming out of frustration and coming out of difficulty, uh, there are always blooms that God intends to bring even after the cold, miserable months of some some wintry times in our life where we it just feels dead it feels empty it feels cold it feels dark but then as the seasons change and the seasons of our life change that perspective changes and and God shows us all sorts of new things that he wants to do so speaking of new things uh, I'm not really one to set New Year's resolutions. I'm not a, opposed to them. There have been times in the years past that I have set some New Year's resolutions and you know tried to make some, some better changes. But some of you perhaps have New Year's resolutions for your personal health. I know joining a gym, exercising, eating better, you know, all of those are New Year's resolutions that are really very popular. And honestly, our resolutions that, you know, they come at a good time of the year because we've just got the holidays behind us and there's plenty of rich, good food that's available during the holidays. And of course, January comes along and people stop, you know, baking and they stop making goodies and, and giving those kinds of things. So you've eaten your way through the holidays. January is a wonderful time to really be more conscious about your your own health, uh, whether you have weight to lose or you just want to lower your cholesterol or you know get have better blood pressure, uh, just want to feel better, feel stronger. You know whatever it is, having those kind of healthy habits and starting in January is always a good time. And so some of you have those that have set. Some of you uh, perhaps, you know, want to stop some bad habits in your life. Uh, you know, a lot of people will identify smoking, drinking, uh, swearing, uh, you know, using any kind of tobacco products. Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, again, going back to foods that we eat, maybe just habits of, you know, being more intentional with your time, with relationships in your life, you know, those kinds of bad habits like, you know, taking people for granted or not making the most of, you know, a marriage relationship in terms of, of you know, dating your spouse or, you know, whatever it might be. Those are some bad habits that need to turn into good habits. And, you know, some of you have set some of those habits, which, you know, those are wonderful New Year's resolutions to set. But I have two that I want to share with you uh, today, two encouragements that, that I personally think are healthy. I think they are, you know, really beneficial to where many of us are in our in our walk with God and our relationship with others 
in in terms of what are some healthy habits that we need to begin? Well, I have, like I said, I have two that I want to share with you this evening. So the two, I guess you would call them New Year's resolutions, but I, I would just call them challenges. Two two challenges that I want to bring to your attention this this evening that I think would make for a wonderful new year to develop some habits, to be more intentional, and really to, I think, change our perspective on what makes a year good or bad or challenging, you know, whatever. So here's the first one. There is a book that was written many years ago, and honestly, both of these challenges that I'm going to mention to you come from uh, books and series and, and things that you can easily find on the internet. So don't think that you have to order this particular book uh, that I'm going to mention because all you have to do is a, a Google search on you know uh, on the internet and you'll find many resources for both of these challenges that I'm going to give you. But the first one deals with spiritual disciplines. And, you know, when you think of being disciplined or you think of a spiritual discipline, a lot of times we have kind of a bad connotation with the word discipline. We think that maybe we're being punished for something that we've done wrong. That's many times what we think of when we hear the word discipline. But really what a spiritual discipline is, is a spiritual healthy habit that you develop in your life for the benefit of of developing your spiritual life. And there was a book written um, back in 1991, I believe it is, and it was written by Donald Whitney. Now, again, this is not a book that I'm telling you or, or encouraging you to go out and buy, although I do think it would be very beneficial for you. But you can find resources on the Internet for what I'm going to talk to you about, about spiritual disciplines, that you don't necessarily have to have this particular book. But the 12 spiritual disciplines that I'm going to mention to you kind of quickly are found in this particular book. And I think there's value to each one of these. So what I want to do tonight is I want to just mention these 12 to you. I want to give you a two-sentence description of what these spiritual disciplines are and then pretty much just leave it on your on your lap you know just put it on your radar and just encourage you to take these spiritual disciplines and develop them into your life the first one that i want to mention is what he calls bible intake or bible reading and honestly, this is more than just reading a verse or a chapter each day. This is really kind of diving into what does the Bible say and how do I apply it to my life? Now, there are tons of different methods that you can use. And again, you can find these on the internet when you, you can do a, re, do a search on the internet of Bible study methods. Whatever method it is that you use to read a passage of Scripture, understand what it means, and apply it to your life, that's going to be really beneficial. When it comes to Bible intake, let me just say this. Think of these three words, or think of these three questions. What do I need to know? What do I need to be? And what do I need to do? So when you think about reading the Bible, there are statements in the Bible and there are sections that God just simply wants you to know what he is saying. He wants you to know some foundational truths. Other times he's telling you what he wants you to be or what he desires for you to become. And then there's other action steps where the Bible says this is what we must do. And so always ask yourself those three questions. What do I need to know? What do I need to be? What do I need to do as a result of what the Bible is saying here? So we need to understand it. We need to be able to, uh, to comprehend it. We need to be able to apply it. And then obviously we need to act on it. So that's Bible intake. The second one, uh, again, in this book that I'm referring to, but this you can find this list anywhere, is prayer. Now, prayer gets a bad rap sometimes because a lot of times people think, you know, either <clears throat> I don't know how to do it, I don't do it often enough, when I pray I just feel so selfish, and I'm telling God, you know, I want you to do all of these things. Prayer, as it's described as a spiritual discipline, 
becomes much more of a conversation with God. Uh, it becomes much more of sharing with God, but then also being still and letting the Holy Spirit uh, lead and guide and and comfort and confirm. And, uh, you know, so prayer is so much more than just a list of things that we're asking of God. It's really our confession of faith of saying, this is who I know God to be. This is what I know God desires to do. And here is my own heart saying, this is what I'm, you know, I'm praying about for this person or for myself or this situation or whatever. Another one, the third one is worship. And again, this is not a Sunday morning only activity. It can't be because if you only worship God one hour a week, uh, you would be really, really missing out on a lot of blessings of just some private times of worship through listening to Christian music, listening to uh, Christian podcasts, listening to and reading the Bible, uh, being able to reflect in some uh, Christian books that just share, you know, insights on in, in, in about God. Uh, just some private time of just you know thinking about and reflecting on the goodness of God. Another one is evangelism. That's another spiritual discipline of just disciplining yourself, of articulating and saying with words, not just with your life, but with your words, what does it mean for a person to be a Christian? What does it mean for a person to be born again? And evangelism is intimidating only when we don't know how to explain the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And so that needs to be a spiritual discipline, not only to learn how to share your faith, but to have the boldness to be able to share it. And so that's a spiritual discipline. Another one is serving. Listen, even Jesus modeled when he said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And so when you encounter other people, everybody has problems, everybody has issues, every single person desires for their issue or their problem to be met. Well, that's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to notice and recognize and identify some of those problems that other people have and being willing to serve them right in the middle of whatever difficulty they're going through. Another one is stewardship. You hear the word stewardship, it sounds weird, and a lot of people think of just financial giving, but it's so much more than that. It's our financial giving. It's the giving and the prioritizing of our time. It's the prioritizing of our energy and basically being a steward or a manager of everything that God gives to you. Fasting is another spiritual discipline. Again, doesn't just revolve around food. Fasting can be, and some of us need to practice, fasting from social media, perhaps fasting from screen time and, and computer or television time, and, and substituting that time. If it's done with food, then we substitute that time that we would eat by spending time with God. If we fast from social media, the amount of time per day that we would spend on social media is time that we would substitute and spend with God. So fasting can be a wonderful spiritual discipline. Uh, silence and solitude is another one. Just being still, being quiet, being alone, and just being alone with God. You know, some of us live such busy, crazy lives we're always on the go. We're always with people. We're, we're always talking. We're always processing. We're always, you know, our, our motor is always going. But there is, even in the life and the ministry of Jesus, times that we just need to pull away and just stop and be still and be quiet and listen. That can be and should be a spiritual discipline. Journaling is another one. Being able to write down and remember some important lessons that God teaches. That doesn't mean you have to have a, a personal diary where you write every single day some diary thought or, you know, uh, write down, you know, how many times you uh, said this or did that or ate this or, you know, it's not anything like that. 
journaling is really just a, a way of remembering some of the good things, the good perspectives, the good lessons that God gives to you that you want to reflect back on in the months and weeks and, and years to come. Learning is another one. Just having a, a hunger and a thirst to learn more. Learn more about who you are. Learn more about others. Learn more about who God is. Learn more about the truthfulness of God's word, the reliability of the Bible, the depth of the prophecies in the Bible. Learn more about the life and the ministry of Jesus. There's so many things that if we're really honest with ourselves that we know very little about, and that should be a spiritual discipline. So all of those are ways that we can improve in our walk with God. And so I just want to encourage you to focus on those spiritual disciplines. Again, you can do a Google search. You can find all kinds of free resources on the Internet for those spiritual disciplines. and Or you can get Donald Whitney's book that is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Uh, and it, it is a wonderful guide and, and, and a wonderful help in so many areas of the Christian life sometimes that we take for granted. The other challenge that I want to give to you is also available with a lot of resources online, but it is based on a book that was written many years ago. But this one is for relationships. And particularly, you know, in a marriage relationship, although there are quite a few additional books along this line that have been written uh, if you have children, if you have teenagers. Uh, there's a, a book that is even written along these lines for forgiveness and how to forgive others. So there's been this one concept I'm going to mention to you has really been expanded and can be applied in lots of different ways. And so I'm just going to talk to you really just about uh, the the focus of the marriage relationship, but then you'll find, like I said, there are plenty of resources to use this concept in lots of different areas and different books and different resources you can buy. But it's the concept of the love languages. If you've never heard of the love languages, uh, there was a book written uh, many years ago, and Bible studies have been written, and my goodness, some uh, some wonderful resources in terms of of uh, discipleship books and videos and conferences. And I'm uh, just thinking of, of the many, many different ways that this, this concept has been given to married couples. And then, like I said, expanded. There's a book called Five Love Languages for Children, Five Love Languages for Teenagers. And essentially what the love languages are, and then I'll explain those other, uh, those other books as well. But basically what the love languages is, it's a way to explain not only the way that you appreciate receiving love from your spouse, but also understanding how your spouse appreciates receiving love. For example, there are five love languages. I think I can name them all. Uh, there are, is the love language of service, where your spouse enjoys and appreciates you doing things for them. There is the love language of physical touch, which is much more than just sex. It is hand-holding, kissing, you know, uh, hugs, pats on the back, those kinds of things. There is the love language of gifts. Some spouses really just feel loved when they are given something by someone else. There is the love language of quality time. You know, some people feel loved when you just make time to be with them, even if it's sitting in a car or sitting on the couch or just talking after dinner. You know, some people really value uh, those, uh, those times with another person. Uh, and then lastly, there's the spiritual discipline of words of affirmation. People really feel loved whenever you say genuine, uh, honest things to them to build them up to encourage them, to 
uh, you know, let them know that they, they did a good job at something or that they, you know, uh, said something that was very helpful or, you know, whatever it is, but you, you verbally recognize something about them to build them up. Well, those five different love languages, there are ways that you as an individual feel loved and you have a primary love language, which doesn't mean that if, you know, if let's just say that words of affirmation is your number one top love language. That doesn't mean that you don't appreciate gifts or, uh, you know, physical, uh, you know, physical touch or quality time. It just means that if someone gives you a compliment, that means more to you because their words of affirmation as, as the author of the book says, really fills your love tank. It really just makes you feel special in a way that those other love languages don't quite do. But that particular love language is your primary love language. Now, the flip side of that is your spouse has a primary love language. And when you learn what that primary love language is, perhaps it will help you to be more intentional. For example, acts of service may be really low on the food chain, on the love language chain for your spouse. But you may really love acts of service. And so you think, okay, well, if I really appreciate acts of service that my spouse does for me, then they will really appreciate acts of service that I do. Not necessarily. Because if acts of service is not their primary love language and maybe words of affirmation is, then maybe they can serve you and do something for you and for your benefit and they really feel loved when you verbally appreciate them for it. Not if you do it instead, but if you just tell them, wow, you really did a great job, or I really appreciate you doing that for me, or, you know, that, that's just the best that you've ever done, and, uh, you know, or I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do that for our family or do that for me. If words of affirmation is their top love language, my goodness, you've just filled their love tank and they've filled yours because they've done something for you. So that's how the love languages work. Now, these other books, like I said, about the love language for children, there are certain ways that children are wired that, again, some kids do really well with just, you know, a hug from mom and dad because they really appreciate that physical touch that makes them feel loved. Or maybe if mom and dad just really, you know, verbally say, uh, you know, my goodness, son, you did really well in your grades this semester, and I'm really, really proud of you. That may be the one thing that just sets them over the moon. Uh, teenagers sometimes are hard to love, uh, but there are ways to show those love languages to teenagers. And so there's some additional resources out there in those books to help parents to know how to express that love so that their children and teenagers receive it and know that they are loved by their parents. But again, primarily what I want to challenge you with this, this, this year uh, as a New Year's resolution, so to speak, is to get on the internet and find those resources. There is a free test on the internet to discover your primary love language. It will explain it to you. It will tell you. There's some, some questions that you answer. And basically, you're just trying to identify, how am I wired? You know, what is most important to me? You could read those five and say, Oh yeah, I know which one mine is. I want to encourage you to take the test because you might be surprised at the order in which your spiritual or your uh, your love languages are ordered. And you may find that yes, while you appreciate receiving gifts, that's really really low in terms of how do I know somebody loves me. So that just as an example. So I want to encourage you to find that free test that's online take that, have your spouse take it, and then share that information with them. Now, I always tell couples this very thing. If you do the love language test and you discover what your spouse's love language is, when you get mad at them, 
when you have some kind of disagreement, don't use the knowledge of what their love language is and withhold that love language as punishment to them and, and toward them. That is not ammunition for you in terms of being a spouse. Uh, for example, if you know that your spouse really loves uh, words of affirmation and you're upset with them, don't use that knowledge and withhold words of affirmation just because you're irritated with them and just as a form of punishment. These are meant to help us to learn to love in a way that they know they are loved unconditionally. And so, and the way that they appreciate it and receive it the best may not be the way that you want to give that love. For example, there are some acts of service, you know, some spouses don't like cleaning the garage. Some, some spouses don't like dusting and folding, uh, fur, uh, you know, folding uh, laundry. I was about to say folding furniture. They don't like doing that either, but folding laundry. But if that is your spouse's primary love language, and sometimes doing those acts of service that you may not like, that demonstrates to them that you are doing it not just for them, but you're doing it for your family, and it just may fill their love tank and show them that you really love them, you love your family, and so this will be a great way for you to really make 2021 a much better year, not only in your home, but also with these spiritual disciplines I mentioned in your relationship with Christ. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, I think it would be very, very helpful. If you have any questions about those spiritual disciplines or you have any questions about the love languages, as I say all the time, you can always email me. My email address is easy to remember. It is randy at columbiabaptist.com. And I would encourage you to email me anytime you have a question about anything that I talk about on the show, but particularly the love languages and the spiritual disciplines that I just encourage you to be, in, to be intentional about in the year 2021. Well, you know, the year 2021 brings all sorts of newness just because it is a new calendar year. While I said earlier, and I'm going to hold to it, uh, I'm not going to dive into any politics, meaning presidency or anything like that. I did notice that in the year 2021, just like every year, anytime there's an election, you know, there's always more than just one thing to vote on for the election. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of bills. There's a lot of other offices that get voted on, but every calendar year, just about, I think, there are new laws that get put into place. You know, things that people vote on in November or, you know, other, other times of the year. But here it is in January, there's all sorts of new laws that are on the books. And I found some of these, and I found some of these in different states to be pretty interesting. For example, after two years that Florida voters chose to ban statewide greyhound racing. The sport is now, as of December the 27th, is now prohibited in the state of Florida. I didn't know that greyhound racing, uh, I, I guess I didn't know it was a thing, you know, still, but I didn't know that it was outlawed. I didn't realize that Florida was banning uh, greyhound racing. I I just thought it was uh, a bunch of dogs that ran around a track, and you know, much like horse racing. But it must be, it must be a little bit more uh, harmful, I guess, to the dogs than maybe I knew. So I, I don't I don't know. I did find out that in the state of Virginia now it is illegal to hold a cell phone and drive. In Virginia, I actually I had thought that that was pretty common in a lot of states that you weren't supposed to hold a cell phone while you were driving. I think you know my parents live in Tennessee, and I believe that they said something about that last year, or maybe it was in the year before that in the state of, of Tennessee that that was out. And I, I guess I just took that one for granted 
that that was that that was a, an issue now. But anyway, so that law went into effect January first uh, that you can't hold your cell phone. I guess either talking on the cell phone or texting, you know, just having it in your hands. Uh, under this new law, by the way, it says that drivers are only permitted to have their headphones in one ear if they're talking on the phone hands-free. Uh, exceptions can be made in the, to report an emergency and certainly when the car is parked. So that is a new law in the state of Virginia. Delaware, I just read, became the eighth state to ban plastic bags. This was brand new information to me. In fact, I don't know what the other seven states are. Maybe I live under a rock. Maybe I just don't pay attention. Uh, I knew the straw, banning the straw thing in California was becoming a thing. Um, don't know if there's other states that have banned straws. But I sure didn't know that plastic bags in Delaware and seven other states were now banned. It said that roughly 2,400 tons of plastic bags currently end up in Delaware's landfills, according to the State Department's Natural Resources and Environmental Control. You know, Delaware is a pretty small state. So for them to have 2,400 tons of plastic bags as a state, can you imagine what other states that are exponentially larger how many plastic bags do they go through? I know we try to use our plastic bags for multiple different things. You know, of course, you go to the grocery store and you get your groceries now. You know, you get them in plastic bags. I've been doing that for many, many years. I mean, we use them as trash can liners in the bathroom. We, uh, I use one every day to bring some snacks to, to work. Um, Gosh, we, we try to use them, you know, for all sorts of, of purposes. In fact, my wife has a, uh, a method for folding them that I think somebody showed her, and so she folds them into this tiny little square, and we have stacks of them in, our, uh, in, in a cabinet, or in a drawer, rather, in our kitchen. And like I said, we try to use them. But eventually, I, you know, they go to landfills, but... I just didn't know that states had banned them, and it just makes me kind of curious as to what their alternative is. 20 states, I found out, including Florida, California, Ohio, and Arizona, 20 states raised their minimum wage on January the 1st. And by August of this year, four more states will join the list. So I did not know that. Um, I don't believe that Kentucky is one of those. I guess that's why it didn't fly on my radar, but uh, that, is, that is news to me. I did find out that four states, Montana, New Jersey, Arizona, and South Dakota, are introducing legalized recreational marijuana for adults this year, and that was approved in November. That I don't understand. You know, you can make an argument for all sorts of things that people put into their body that change their, uh, what's the word I want to use, that, that change their awareness, that changes their perception, that changes their mood. And I don't quite understand why legalizing marijuana in that way uh, recreational marijuana. Not, we're not even talking about prescription type. We're talking about just recreational smoking stuff. You know, why that's a good idea in, in those states are, are legalizing that. I found all kinds of new laws. In fact, there were, there were several that I read through that are, that have hit the books in January. And you know, here in the year 2021, I, I asked myself, I, th I thought, okay, why would the year 2021 be better than the year 2020? What is it about a change in government, a change in the presidency, a change in the House and the Senate, a change in, you know, different seats, I mean, different uh, 
laws that are on the books. You know, isn't it that every year we hope to be better than the year before? I mean, does does any state in the United States, does any you know, does any new president, does any new House or, or Senate person say to themselves, gee, I hope that it's worse this year than it was last year? I, th- I think the general consensus about life is that each year that passes, we want it in some ways to be better than it was before. And so here are some laws that have been written and, and put in place for the year 2021 that I'm not certain are going to make it better. Um, Some of them, I mean, maybe the plastic bag thing is going to be great. I don't know what the alternative is for, you know, cheap plastic bags. And maybe the alternative is, is wonderful and it's going to be very uh, economic, economically beneficial. It'll be, you know, better for the environment. I just don't know. I just don't know what. And the, and the cell phone thing, you know, while you're driving, I think that's great. But there are several that I didn't reflect on, several that I didn't read to you that I just kind of bypassed just for the sake of time. Then I'm thinking, you know, is that going to make the world a better place? Is that going to make that community, that state, our country better? It's like what I said at the top of the show, thinking about the presidential election. If in a divided election, and if after there is some controversy, some scrutiny, some challenge, and you know it comes down to the vote being so close, and we say, okay, whether it had been Trump or Biden, either way, and said, okay, now that this person is our president, they better unify our country. That is impossible. Because you now are saying to half of registered voters that voted, you're saying to half of them, now you need to support the other guy. You voted for the one guy, now you need to support the other guy. You know, it's like these laws. Some people voted against these things, but yet they still have to abide by them. How do you have unity in a country like ours that provides freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, all, you know, all of these things, and yet say to them, but we need to, we need to have unity. The only place where there is unity and freedom is in Jesus. Now look, you expect me to say this because I'm a, I'm a pastor. You might expect me to say it because I'm a Christian. I say it because I'm absolutely convinced that it's true. Our country is a perfect example of a place that provides freedom and does not have unity. It's almost as though every election proves that we don't have unity. We have freedom to vote. We have freedom to vote for the person that we want to vote for. But once the results are in, we have a candidate, whether we voted for that particular candidate or not, that does not provide unity. It provides choice. It provides opportunity for, you know, getting representation of of the majority of the people because if the majority of the people vote for that congressman or senator, president, whatever, that particular law, okay, so now all of a sudden our guy is in, our person is in that seat, but what if your person doesn't win? You don't have unity. You have a democracy. And that's what the United States is. And we're never going to have unity as a country until we stand with and for Jesus, first of all. You know, personally, and I know that the, the phrase got a lot of flack, you know, making America great again. And putting America first, I heard I heard President Trump explain that to a reporter who asked him, you know, 
why did you use that particular slogan? Which has gotten a ton of criticism. I thought his answer was probably what every country should say. He said every country should put their country first. Every country should prioritize what they do for the benefit of their country. He said, that's all I'm trying to do. I just want America to focus on what does a certain policy, how does it benefit America? And I think with all of these laws and people that run for office and all of that, we hope that we're going to have unity. We hope that we're going to have you know, warm fuzzies and, and feel good feelings toward one another. But at the end of the day, with a democracy and with freedom, we're not going to have unity. We have two political parties that are set up against each other in every, you know, every phase of, of, of top-level government. Everything in Washington is essentially two parties that on a lot of issues are going to disagree. That's not unity. It's checks and balances because you may have a Democratic president and you may have a Republican Senate, and so that's kind of a balance, so to speak. But it's not unity. All these new laws, all of this change, all of this that that has happened and is continuing to happen in our country is not going to promote unity. It certainly signals the freedom that we have of choice and voting and all of that. But I'm telling you, because I am absolutely convinced, first, I'm convinced because of the truthfulness of the Bible. Second, I'm convinced because I have personally placed my faith and trust in what the Bible says and, and who Jesus is. And then also because I am a pastor and I encourage people to turn to Jesus for this very reason. The only way that you can have absolute freedom and have unity is if you are in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. Because the Bible says where the spirit is, there is freedom. If we are not in Christ, the Bible says we are bound to our sin. We have no other choice than to serve sin and to do what our sinful nature says. But when we are born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us and gives us a new nature, a new mind, a new heart to think and to believe and to operate in the same manner that Jesus Christ operates. That is what it means to be born again. And we will not be born again unless we confess that we are a sinner, that our sin keeps us from that freedom, keeps us from a, a personal relationship with God. That sin also sentences us to eternal death and eternal separation from God. So we have to acknowledge that first, that that's true. Second of all, we have to acknowledge that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sin. He died for Randy Johnson's sin. Every dumb thing that I've ever done and will ever do, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the, the, the death penalty for my sin. And I confess that, I believe that, I trust in that. There's nothing that I can do to take away my sin. Only by what Jesus Christ did on the cross can I be forgiven of my sin. But then the Bible also says that the last step is not only understanding that we're a sinner and, and recognizing our need for a Savior and that when Jesus died, he died for us, but the Bible then says we must confess him as Lord. And this is where the freedom and this is where the unity comes in. When we are in step with what the Bible says, with what Jesus says, with how the Holy Spirit leads our life, when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we do exactly what Jesus calls us to do. We are filled with the Spirit, and it is there and only there that we find freedom from sin and unity with God. Everywhere else, anywhere else on the planet, and even and especially in the United States of America, 
you may be free, but we are not a unified country. We're not even set up in our political system to ever be a unified country. We came to this continent and set up a government in order to be divided to give people the choice. Listen, you're either going to vote this way or vote that way. You're either going to believe in this person or believe in that person. You're either going to affirm this law or you're going to affirm this way. You're going to vote this way or vote that way. We're set up with the idea of freedom, and we have freedom to choose. We have freedom to bear arms. We have freedom of religion. The government doesn't tell us what to do in those things. But in that same government system, we don't have the ability to unify. And if it happens, listen, it's super rare. I saw, and I said this um, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a, a website that showed the election results, the presidential election results of the last Gosh, I, I forget how far back it goes, uh, back to the 18-somethings, but you can click on every single presidential election and see what the popular vote was and see what the electoral college vote was. And I was amazed because I you know, obviously didn't vote during the Reagan administration how red. I mean, the United States was solid red when Reagan won. I believe it was in 84. It may have been 1980, and now I don't remember. But I was absolutely astonished that it was an overwhelming landslide victory. And here I'm looking at the Trump-Clinton. I'm looking at the Gore-Bush. I'm looking at the Biden-Trump. And I'm looking at a divided country. But even if we all vote for the same person... It doesn't mean that we are the same on all issues. The only way that we can have freedom, the only way that we can have unity is if we are found in Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. The, the year 2021, I hope, is going to be a better year. I mean, I hope that today is better than yesterday. I always say that I hope my next sermon is better than my last one. You know, that should be a goal of every preacher. Um, is to, to preach better the next time than you did the last time. If you preach great last time, be greater the next time. You know, that, that's, my, that's my motto. But, you know, for the year 2021, there's already been some tragedy that people are dealing with that shows us that the year 2021 may not be better than the year 2020. In fact, I read a story just yesterday that a father was attempting to rescue his children in the water at a beach in Sonoma County, California, and he ended up dying trying to save his two children, his four-year-old and his six-year-old. They were both swept out to sea, and he ended up drowning trying to save his children. The, the search is still on for the children. They don't know if the children survived or if they did get swept out to sea and they ended up passing away as well. But listen, the year 2021 for that family has already started out terrible. This happened on January the 4th. Now, I just read this the other day, but it happened on January the 4th. And already four days into the new year, this family faced tragedy. Friend, I'm here to tell you the truth. You may face difficulty in the year 2021 like you didn't face in the year 2020. Or it may be that God is so gracious that the tragedy you faced in the year 2020, that there are some wonderful blessings that come in the year 2021. Either way, God is still the same. He loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. His comfort is all-consuming. And it is sufficient in all things and in all ways and at all times. I have definitely had my share, not only as a person, but also as a pastor, in some very challenging moments in the past, and some of them in the year 2020. And I certainly don't want to see a repeat of some of those difficulties this year. But I do know this, that God is on the throne, that Jesus Christ is going to return soon, and that I pray that all of us are ready 
to see the Lord Jesus, to meet him, and to spend all of eternity with those who also believe. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. I hope that you have a great rest of the evening and a great rest of the week. Join me every Wednesday night right here on 101.9 WAIN. I'm afraid the masquerade is over, and so is love.